However, you could say, oh, are you sure? But then again, it's, I think, you know what, guys? Let me start from the beginning. So, for those of you who are listening, um, this conversation started off based on. Thank you all for joining us as we look at today's topic, which is representation of BAME women in mental health services. So, we'll just go around and do a quick introduction. So, I'll start. So, my name is Joan Adol. I am the CEO and founder of Several Seats. <laughs> Uh, hi everyone, so my name is Glicinia Danso, uh, you can call me Gle if it's easier. I'm a research assistant psychologist and I work between Great Yarmouth and Norwich. Um, yeah, my role is mostly research-based, but I have experience volunteering in projects that relate to cultural adaptations of family, family therapy. Um, and yeah, that's me. So my name is Vanessa Davis. I'm currently working as an assistant psychologist um, in a private hospital in Romford. It's an elderly, low secure unit. I also have a background um, in research. So when I was at university, I was a research assistant for uh, two different projects in my first and second year. I'm Mary, um, well you can call me Amara just because that's my African name and the bigger pig. Um, I'm an assistant psychologist in, within the under 14th Great Yarmouth and Wave Newton. And that's pretty much more. And I'm Sadia Osmani. I'm an assistant psychologist in Central Northwest London Trust. Uh, I work at the Grenfell Health and Wellbeing Service. Um, and yeah, I'm currently involved in some clinical work and research work. And uh, mostly what I do is related to trauma and uh, PTSD and uh, just working with uh, different diverse backgrounds. Yeah. Perfect. Right, so the reason why I kind of thought about having an episode based around representation of being women in the mental health services was because nearly 20% of the 1.3 million people that work in the NHS or in health services are from a black, Asian or minority background. Um, the black population accounts for 3.4% of the working age population. And within that 3.4%, 6.1% of those work for health services, whether it be public or private. So with that being said, I guess the first question I kind of wanted to throw out there is what obstacles have you experienced in your career journey? So that could be whether it be in academics or in your actual workplace. What barriers have you or obstacles have you faced? Yeah, so I think one of the, the biggest obstacles that I've kind of faced um, wherever I've worked in mental health has obviously been the lack of representation, uh, as, you've, as you've said, but also um, race being kind of like an elephant in the room, people kind of being too afraid to talk about the dynamics of, of uh, um, kind of institutional racism and, and uh, systemic uh, inequalities and um, how it plays out in each and every service that we're in. And I find it quite stifling. Um, I feel that, you know, had... Um, you know, the, the George Floyd murder not occurred, um, had the Black Lives Matter movement uh, not been so highly publicised at the moment, maybe some of these issues still would have been swept under the rug uh, by many services. I feel like now people feel that they have to discuss race and uh, inequality, uh, whereas before it made people feel very uncomfortable uh, just to address it, just to address the fact that there are differences and there are inequalities between people in, the, in this field. 
so, so that's been uh, my experience of it. Say that the biggest obstacle that I faced is the George Floyd, you know, all the process and everything, because then it got me wondering, okay, like you, no one addressed it. And I was thinking, how can you not address something that's making everyone else feel uncomfortable? And why do I have to be the one? I'm supposed to be the one that's suffering. Because why do I have to do the emotional labor of coming to work? And it's, I think it involves a lot of anxiety. And I don't think people understand that. I don't know what people's response will be. It will make people feel uncomfortable. Yeah. But then I have to, on top of that, I have to manage your feelings while trying, you know, and try to mm-hmm. make sure mine is not invalidated on top of that. And there's a lot of juggling emotional, um, it's a lot of emotional labor, I'd say. Um, and on top of that, then I have to think about action points <laughs> for the team. It's just yeah. a lot. And then it makes me, I guess, question my place in the team. You know, if something was to come up, since no one brought George Floyd's death up, will anyone back me up? And then, you know, your sense of belonging really shifts a little bit. That's what happened to me anyway. Yeah. Um, so I think that would be my biggest obstacle. And also not having somebody in the team with lived experience of racism, really. really? Um, so that's I, think, I think one thing I always even wondered, why did you, why do you feel like they didn't want to address it? Was it that they didn't want to because it was a political thing? Or that they didn't know how to? I got told that they don't want to say anything wrong. But mm-hmm. for me, that's not good enough. <laughs> that's not good enough. I guess adding to what Glee was saying, I did experience it as well, where like actually no one raised, and no one has raised the point of racism within my team. I'm lucky enough that I have a really good supportive supervisor who I go to and talk to about these issues. And, um, And because of that, we kind of started thinking, how do we integrate race, culture, people from different diversity? How do we integrate that within our work? Because it's very underrepresented. I'm the only black person literally within the team. And this is a team of 20 people. And I'm literally the only person of a different diverse background. 99% of the rest are from white background. And... I guess when I brought it up, I think the main recurring theme that came up following speaking with my supervisor and also um, getting involved with the equality and diversity um, champion within our team, the recurring thing that came up from our, our discussion is the fact that people are very uncomfortable with this because a lot of time people are like worried of what they're going to say and how they're going to say whether it will come out right or wrong, people are um, worried about um, whether um, they're going to come across as racist in what they say. Um, so all of those, I guess, the, the, the bits which I feel like people need to address is actually that uncomfortability And I also, going back to your question in regards to what barriers have you faced, I guess, for me, mine would be the it would be the assumption and the biases people have when they see someone of black minority. Um, I, I've lived majority, I've lived in majority white dominant community and area, and you do experience your own path of racism. But going to school, I think I had one significant um 
event that really happened to me that really shook me. And this was when I was doing my master's and, and in my um, dissertation report, my supervisor made an assumption that English isn't my first language. And in my report, he put that in my report saying that, oh, I've given her a better grade because um, English is not her first language. Making that assumption and judgment and having it actually influence the mark he gave me in my report, mm. which I just thought, how awful, how can you make such assumption? I never mentioned ever that English was not my first language. English is my first language. I don't know any, I, I can't speak fluently any other language. I, yes, I have a second language, but English is my main language. But having that assumption, and I guess that's the barriers. People just see you and they make a complete assumption. Even in a field where it's meant to be non-judgmental, where equality and diversity needs to really play a role within the field, you do get people having different biases and perceptions. So I guess that's, I guess my, the barriers I face is the bias people have over people from different backgrounds. Okay. Thank you. Can I just interject? Sorry, if you don't mind. Um, can I just interject into Mary's point about so bias in general, unconscious bias especially, is something that a lot of people didn't understand until um, George Floyd's death happened. That these conversations weren't actually happening in the workplace, and like uh, you guys, nobody said anything for about two weeks. And I remember I was going to work, and I'd get to work, and I'd be so frustrated. Like I, I could not think about the work that I had to do because I was thinking why is nobody addressing this mm -hmm. so at some point it got too much for me so I went to the um my hospital director I went and I spoke to him and I said nobody has addressed this it's been two weeks now I've been waiting um and then only to find out that he you know felt the same way that he felt like he had to say something but he didn't want to say the wrong thing but he realized that saying nothing at all was worse than saying like then saying the wrong thing like yeah, it's better for you to say something at least like address something and I was glad that he you know had something in the draft but once again I was like why did it have to be me to come and say this and I'm one of two black people in the MDT um before I used to work on the ward um as a healthcare assistant and there I was surrounded by black people but as soon as I moved I became the minority and it, I felt it even more after George Floyd's death like I felt so excluded mm. from the narrative from everything and hearing people weren't really talking about it but I hear like little snippets of things and one day someone told me randomly in a conversation she uttered the words all lives matter and I was like at that point I was like <laughs> okay where where do I go from here? where do I actually go from here I don't know how to educate somebody that's saying something like that and also why does it have to be me to educate that person or why that's such a wrong thing to say mm -hmm. and so I guess the barriers for me as well is definitely the bias that people don't realize they have and even when you try and educate them on these biases they they become defensive but it's okay to you know understand that you may not you know have a point of view that's needed but you need to acknowledge it first and a lot of people aren't willing to acknowledge it at all like they'd rather pretend that they're okay so I saw something um on Twitter the other day that it's one thing to say that you're not racist but it's another to be anti-racist and I think that that switch is what a lot of people are struggling to make and yeah that's that's basically it for me it's, it's been a lot based on what you guys were saying so it sounds like 
everyone's had pretty much the same experience with this that nobody was saying anything when it actually happened and then like, maybe two weeks later you know people are starting to come out with statements and I don't know it just feels like there's something kind of disingenuous about that I don't know how everyone else feels but it's just like um, to make a statement maybe <clears throat> two weeks after the incident occurred and this has been something that's been going on for centuries um, I think I think I don't know it seems as if like everyone's just trying to get their statements out there to to show that you know they're not racist um, and it can it for like so for me personally like always in um in this profession I've always tried to kind of talk about these issues and you know for it to not be heard and then something really terrible has to happen for people to say oh actually you know maybe she had a point I think it is kind of it kind of messes you up you just you just feel quite upset that you know you had been pointing out that there was an issue before and maybe there was something that we could do about this mm -hmm. um and it just took something really like horrific to happen for people to then uh, acknowledge it you're divorcing the issues from one another at the end of the day during the pandemic it's also black people and, and other ethnic minorities that have had it worse in this pandemic and, and it, yeah. it's all interlinked like you can't divorce one issue from the other this all goes back down to you know institutional racism discrimination unconscious biases um you know i, I just feel like that was really not helpful mm. yeah because of systemic racism that is the main reason why BAME people are more likely to contract and unfortunately die from this virus. So to try and separate the two issues, like they're not interlinked, they are more interlinked than people would like to admit. They are so interlinked because of things that we can't change. So medical racism, medical racism is a huge thing that people don't seem to understand. And it's been going on for, you can tie it back to slavery days, really, um, colonialism, and it's just, the idea of we have to deal with one thing and then deal with the other, but why, why does race, first of all, why does racism have to be dealt with like in that way, like making it sound like it's, you know, something that's of an inconvenience. If for everybody, it would work out better if we handle racism right now. The fact that we're still having these conversations that would have been brought up every single time a black person died in America. I remember, I think most of these conversations started from Trayvon Martin. I was a teenager when Trayvon um, passed away. We're still having the same conversations now. It feels like nothing has really changed. Yeah. So I don't understand why, like what, what's the hesitation in trying to get things started, get actual progress happening? I, I don't understand it. Um, have any of you experienced institution, uh, institutional racism? So like, I'll give my example, which was whilst I um, was in second year and I was lucky enough to get a placement I won't say where, um, but I was lucky enough to get a placement at a location and um, I had braids. I think it must have been summertime during that time. I had braids and I was asked if I could remove my braids because it was unprofessional. That really makes you think, what is a professional hair style then? <laughs> what is that supposed to look like? Um, it's yeah, like, I wrote oh, a few pictures of what professional hairstyle looks like. <laughs> <laughs> oh uh, actually uh, this brings me to like my time at university um in the workplace I mean it's been more covert I'd say like institutional racism but I remember when I was at university doing my master's um we were talking about studies on uh, terrorism and like the, the lecturer decided to bring up like um this particular study and it's about how most people who turn out to be terrorists or go into radicalization are they studied engineering 
and um it was just a really weird study first of all and um basically like i put my hand up and i was just like um there's a running joke like in the in the muslim community like you're either a doctor a lawyer or an engineer like that in in all minor minority communities is just the kind of running joke so basically the study is trying to say that most uh, Muslims who are terrorists are doing engineering, but I could argue that a lot of Muslims go into engineering. <laughs> like, what are you trying to say? Mm-hmm. Anyway, this uh, girl, she put her hand up and she goes, well, I think there could be some terrorists in the room right now. There could be some terrorists um, doing psychology with us right now. And the lecturer just looked very uncomfortable. Uh, I, it took a mo- like a moment for me to just process what she had said and he quickly changed the subject. So he didn't even address it. And I was just sitting there. There was like three minorities in that class. And we were sitting in the back of the class. We used to sit together. And um, it was just the most uncomfortable feeling um, that this wasn't addressed and that somebody was allowed to say something like that. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's my experience. Yeah, I think that's a huge issue where people, they want to dance around the topic because it's so sensitive that they would rather just disacknowledge yeah. it and address it when you, you're doing a lot more harm than good than by doing that, you're feeding into the racism yeah. we're experiencing. They don't understand that. Yeah, and like the audacity of this girl. <laughs> yeah, was, that kind of statement as well. It's just shocking, but yeah. I think most of it has been, um, like Sadia just said, it's more covert. I've not had any overt experiences. I've had like, so obviously microaggressions. I've experienced so many of those um, through secondary school, sixth form, universities, mm-hmm. even now as an assistant psychologist, I still go for it, especially when it comes to my hair. Um, I always get comments whenever I do my hair, like if I have wigs, if I have braids, um, even I think like two weeks ago, I um, wore my hair out natural for the first time. Um, and the amount of comments that I got, not just from staff, but from patients as well, because I think another thing that we forget is that it's not, for us, it's not just staff, that can make comments patients can make comments as well and for me i find it harder to deal with comments made by patients because first of all you have to understand they're mentally unwell but secondly as a human being to get those comments is it's not easy to deal with and i didn't know how to deal with it but there's also no one for me to run to to be like what 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 would you do like what because the majority of the, the team are white so n- no one's really going to understand they're just going to say oh, oh don't take offense at what they're saying but i would I will and for me to pretend like I'm I'm a a robot it's just it's not really realistic at all um so yeah most most of mine have been microaggressions most definitely um but I think another thing about me personally I don't know if this applies to you guys as well when it comes to the minor things I sometimes push them to the back of my mind because if I focus on them so much I get more and more frustrated and I'd rather not have to deal with those emotions but I think lately now they stick with me so most of the stuff that's happened in the past hasn't stuck with me but lately in light of everything that's been going on since then I remember those events more so yeah that's that's basically my experience um I'd say it's kind of the same with me so sometimes a lot of the microaggressions I get it's regarding my name I don't think it's that hard it's just literally glycinia so if you ask me I will tell you or I'll actually tell people call me glee because that's just easier and that's me offering you away and still people find a way to, you know, mispronounce it or even on three letters, GLI, that's not that bad, but people will still find a way to mispronounce it to a point where I was like, you know, I don't know what else to do. 
and then obviously other people don't understand so i can never get back up for that and then regarding her uh vanessa totally <laughs> i can sympathize with you i mean did yes i think yeah two, two days ago um i run a social group and i mean always wear my natural hair anyway but i have an afro and they had never seen me in afro so it's a service user acted like he didn't or maybe didn't actually recognize me and then he was trying to point out oh well that lady there i like your hair which is you know actually a positive comment which is great but then he was i noticed he was afraid of saying the word black as if it was going to offend me um so that's a bit frustrating because <laughs> it's not racist at all in all these conversations there's so, like um sadly said is an elephant in the room to the point you don't dress it and then it just becomes a bigger thing than it should be uh, yeah and honestly uh, i mean i've also seen um i don't know how you guys feel about safeguarding um training and stuff but i've seen powerpoints going around saying that certain things or certain words or slangs uh or listen to a certain type of music like grime are indicative of somebody you know they're very like stereotypical and you know there's a lot of like slides and only uh, i only see one black person in there so i'm like why are you trying to push that narrative um and it's just a shame really uh, but yeah those are my experiences um there's also another service user i have to deal with that is very racist and um he will often say stuff like i don't understand what you're saying we weren't born in the same country i have a british accent i was born and raised in this country and you're trying to tell me that i'm not from here and when it comes to that a lot of people just brush up that oh he's racist oh let's do i don't know if do you guys have datics um, yeah. The, um, yeah. 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 Like, oh, just do a datex for for that incident. Oh, he's done it again. Okay, another datex. <laughs> Have you addressed what this person has said? <laughs> yeah. Not, yeah. Sorry, I was just gonna say that's not good enough though. And something I realize is that when you know in a clinical setting, they have to do a datex, but in but they only ask you as a black staff like for the sake of the datex, but not to check on your psychological well being. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if it was you know, of a, you know, a physical assault, they would have to check on you, but they don't think about that. They don't take, they don't think, oh, you know, maybe certain things like that affect, cause that's bullying really. And the fact mm -hmm. that, you know, it, get, it just gets brushed off. Like it makes our experience, like it validates us in, in a way, cause it's not taken seriously. They don't check on us and then nothing happens to the patient. So yeah, sorry, just a little rant, <laughs> but it's just something I feel passionate about because they don't check on us at all. No, I, I but agree with you 100 <laughs> with what you guys are i definitely understand that and i definitely agree but also it's not just about patients who are mentally unwell i've worked in a in community um hospital for a long time so patients with physical just physical elements that they are sound in mind and you still get those comments and i've had lots of instances where i've had to where a patient has said to me oh i can't understand what you're saying and i'm like well i am speaking clear english here. like how how do you how do you how how do people go about actually identifying and correcting that person to say actually this is not right is it is it your role and is is diff is a very difficult one because you can understand from one one aspect. Kind of a difficult one as well because, you know, if you're working in retail or if you were working like um, in DFL, for example, if somebody's um like uh, shouting abuse at you or if they're racist in any way or like passive aggressive, you know, you can refuse to to serve them and you can refuse yeah. to 
you know do whatever with them but with the nhs it's like it's, it's a bit unclear about how far we can go with saying actually mm -hmm. that's racist and you know i don't actually want to to have to work with this person this particular patient uh, can mm -hmm. we say that and and do we don't know our rights when it comes to that i think that's another um issue maybe maybe we're not really um we haven't been given the kind of um knowledge to know what we can do in those situations mm. that's so important Sadi. i think the, what, what you said when you said we haven't been told our rights that's exactly that's the nail on the head because i think like you said vanessa for your experience it was like oh you're right that you were told was to do a day text in fact i'd like mm -hmm. a document of what steps i can take and who i can yeah yeah and i guess that's where you have if you have a really good management style yeah. like good management within your team they'll be able to at least from the day like the first day you you start working there basically say to you okay racism isn't accepted even if you're receiving racism from patients or or, or other services uh, that we don't accept that and because i know i had that that conversation with my supervisor she told me from the start she was like if you feel at any point uncomfortable because you will experience racism from some of the patients especially given the fact that it's a very white dominated background you will get that racist some of those racism and don't feel like you can sit with it and you can be okay with it just come and tell me and if you don't feel comfortable actually working with that particular service user be open and honest about it whereas i've worked in a different setting where it's completely the opposite it's almost like oh don't take it personal kind of brush it off the carpet you know and i get a good management would have to be the key without management without representation in management at least mm -hmm. how do you have these conversations with people when nobody has experienced it for themselves and then mm -hmm. you have to experience it yourself and tell them what's happened so fortunately um i also have a good supervisor as well that's quite understanding i remember when i first started working in the, in the psychology department i said um i'm worried about this particular patient because it's known that he's very racist and I don't know if I'm going to be able to engage with him one-on-one -on -one if every single week I go there he's going to say something new and she essentially said that if you feel if you get to the point of feeling so uncomfortable that you don't think um any engagement will be therapeutic then just you just you can exit you can tell them that you are not going to engage with them and you can leave and I felt I felt like I was being listened to um by my supervisor I felt like she was actually listening to me and to my concerns but the hospital overall, whereas my, my supervisor is very understanding, I think the hospital overall has a lot of learning to do. And in order to do that learning, they have to listen to us and then implement it in their in their training, in their modules, in so face-to-face -face training, module training, e-learning, all of it, it needs to be addressed. It, it it really does need to be addressed. Otherwise, there's there's no way of us being having the coping mechanisms to deal with it. There's no way of other people being able to support us rather than you know pushing it aside or saying, "Oh, it's no big deal. This person did this to me the other day, but I don't hold it against them." Yeah. Okay. All right. So another one which might be a good thing to look at from a different perspective is what are the perceived barriers to accessing services for members of the BAME community? So this is looking from. Um, service users access in our services. Um, I don't know for the rest of you, because it might be um, really helps to get a better insight, because for myself, I don't see a lot of diversity 
in the people that access my service. Um, but for your, it might be different in your services and as to if there is more, if there's not, why is that the case? And what can we do to address that? Um, my unit is actually a forensic unit. So obviously you can't access it unless you commit a crime. Um, but so I guess my issue isn't like with um, representation of BAME people um, in the unit. It's actually over representation um, okay. because um, there are statistics that suggest that BAME people are more likely to be um, institutionalized, especially um, if they've committed a crime and are mm. mentally unwell. Um, but the other problem is also a lack of understanding. Um, so for me, um, in particular, for my unit, um, I feel like the black service users are not understood at all. They're perceived to be more violent, more aggressive, more problematic. The words that they use for them compared to the other service users, are, it's not nice at all to hear it. And I feel horrible for them. Like the, all these um, assumptions have been placed on them um, before, you know, even understanding that the person that they are. So I guess the, the issue for me is more so why is there so much of a representation of them in, mm -hmm. in forensic units? And is, is there a problem, like, are they allowing them to break down into that crisis level? Because obviously before you get to a forensic unit, stuff would have had to have happened. Interventions would have had to be missed and I think in terms of what you've just said about people not accessing um, your services in, um, in particular Joan I think that is where it leads to the breakdown of them coming into services like mine where they've been pushed to the edge and then they've done something that they can't come back from and then get sentenced to be you know hospitalized in these units it's like they've gone too far um, and I see that for all the black patients that I work with they've gone too far they've had moments where interventions could have taken place and they didn't have to go that far but it was too late and now they've come somewhere that they can't go back from so that that's my experience what's so interesting just in like um yeah. in contrast to what you're saying because i also work this up for mine you are you won't see me unless you've committed a crime so it's also forensic but vanessa that there is an definitely an overrepresentation of black men especially in the criminal justice system but oh yeah that underrepresentation of people who are speaking about it from the community there so i think some of the stuff that we offer in psychology like some of the therapies some of the approaches we offer don't really cater to people yeah. who are not used to that kind of one-to-one -one, i'll just tell you all my problems mm -mm. like a lot of the time the way that different groups deal with things is by talking to their families staying within their communities using religion and a lot of the the kind of the the models that we're looking at and that we're using in therapy and psychology they're eurocentric like that this is stuff that has been adapted for a particular culture that we are not a part of um i also think that a part of it is like also representation how can i sit in a room with someone who is from a culture that i know will not understand me and who i cannot relate to and i find that clinicians can sometimes be really sensitive when a patient asks for a therapist from their own culture they see it as like oh that patient is actually being discriminatory they're being racist but i think it's a valid point you know to, to want to see someone from your background who's not going to judge you for some of the issues that you're coming with because you feel that that might happen um and there was another point that i was going to make um just that um sometimes with uh, different minority groups they feel that 
if I go to the therapist and talk to them about my problems, are they going to report me to social services? Mm. And I think that's a valid one. Like we see that with uh, mainly with black people, uh, they they tend to have more referrals to to social care. You know, they end up getting their children taken away from them. And people fear that. They fear that if I tell my therapist, if I disclose that I'm having suicidal thoughts or um, that I'm depressed, they're going to look into my capacity to look and to, to care for my children and my kids could be taken away from me. And there's nothing to say that that won't happen because we know that the system is like um, discriminative and, and, you know, it's like a disproportionately harsh uh, on ethnic minorities and particularly black people. Um, in total, I was just about to say a majority of the points um, you made. Um, you do get a lot of people. So you do get the the barriers of where the barriers come within the person themselves. So before they even go to access the service. So you have the barriers where um, their culture. So we have this cultural norm of um, if, if, for example, if you have a problem, maybe you discuss it with members of your family and you solve the problem within your, anyway, coming from my perspective, from my own culture and from my own background, um, where you speak about the problem within members, not take that problem outside of your home. So you, you can have the barriers within the individual themselves, but you also have the barriers where, okay, they've made that that step of actually trying to assess the service and like one the person that might be speaking to might not be a good representation of how like how they are feeling so they might not feel very comfortable enough to open up and even when they've opened up a lot of the cases is where maybe some of um depending on the clinician i guess might be that the clinician has maybe dismissed an important part, but also during assessment period, people within the bank culture, we don't really, uh, our assessments aren't catered to ask questions around, um, okay, thinking about the person as an individual. It's not very person-centered. I don't know what other people's experience are, but it's not very person-centered, whereas, like he said, is a lot more um, catered around um, the European community, the questions that I asked, rather than actually looking at the person as an individual and thinking outside of the box and thinking, okay, what is this person's narrative? What is their story? And how has that story led them to this point mm. in life? So you don't, you, you don't get, a lot of that in assessment you don't get those questions in assessment and even if you do um, a lot of times some people might be dismissive of that again it comes down to clinicians being uncomfortable to ask certain questions which i feel within the BAME community is really important and then you pass that assessment period and then you pass that assessment best and you have the formulation where again, the formulation is not catered around trying to understand this person as an individual. It's more holistic approach kind of formulation we use, which is a lot more European kind of style formulation and theories that have been written a lot from European perspective. So a lot of 
people's cultural background, their religious and their gender get really missed. And those are the really important bits that actually defines a person. I know my culture from my own mental health perspective. I know my culture plays a big role in my mental health and my emotional well-being. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the time that is really made. So why would someone from a BAME community then go to assess a service where they are going to feel like they're being misunderstood? So I feel like that barriers as well, the barrier of, okay, what the culture says about assessing a mental health service and also the barriers around, okay, you've assessed the mental health service. How does the people in the mental, the clinicians and that are meant to support you, how can they support you given the fact that you're from a different background from them? So I feel like those two are the, for me, from my perspective, I feel like are the main barriers within assessing mental health service. And a lot of people might not have good experiences of being within a mental health service. Mm, yeah, thank you for that, Mary. I think that links very well with what you were saying, Sadi, where sometimes it is actually better for someone who um, they can relate with. My problem is like, I don't think I don't think it's always helpful to match exactly the the background or the religion or yeah. their ethnicity, but I feel like the services need to at least acknowledge that as minorities or as like the children or people who have migrated to this country, we have a particular experience that we as different minority groups understand migrating to this country and being a small population and having experienced racism there's going to be like some kind of relational aspect there there's going to be a shared experience that we might not feel comfortable to disclose to let's say a white therapist yeah. um and, and we might keep quiet about certain things because i don't know for whatever reason we feel that they're going to get uncomfortable they're not going to understand um things like that i feel like mental health services don't always acknowledge that fact i've had personal experience with cbt um, and I remember it was like the second out of eight sessions, it was a group um, CBT um, um, thing that I um, self-administered myself um, into. And they, um, so the, the person that was leading the group was essentially talking about like thinking um, about negative thinking, because obviously a part of CBT is you know, trying to turn the negative into positive. And so she was saying that in terms of getting rid of things that lead to negative thinking, um, she was talking about family um and how like a particular family member was affected her mental health which yeah makes sense so she so essentially said oh i just cut that person out of my life and i remember saying that's not really that easy for um yeah. people that are <laughs> from my background we can't just be like oh yeah. okay yeah just cut the scissors and she didn't understand and i just i was the only black person in the group so i didn't feel comfortable explaining further what i was trying to say so i left it at that and I just felt like I couldn't, at that point, and especially since family is so, so linked into culture and who I am as a person, I just felt like I couldn't really open up um, during CBT, which is, was not really helpful. I mean, it was great, but it could have been better if I was able to open up fully about how family can affect mental health, because it can, and it's not as simple for um, anyone from a BAME background to just be like, oh, I'm not going to talk to that family member, or I'm going to cut family out of my life. That's, that's not really how it works. Not for the majority of us, at least. 
and then the last question is what radical changes or just changes in general need to happen for inclusion to be lived felt and sustained within the mental health services so we said some already so we said about like representation in management mm -hmm. um any others that people want to bring about i know representation in management is a huge one because that's that's essentially where change is going to happen i would say change within the culture Mm. oh what do you mean like psychological culture mm. in general like we've mentioned a lot how a lot of the tools the resources our assessments our formulations a lot of it has been created for a certain type of group you know and we need to be more inclusive of everyone we need to take into consideration that everyone comes from different backgrounds we need to be it, it needs to be flexible you know not too rigid the, some of the tools that we have people need to remember that actually these tools might be used for people from different religions different ethnicity background different gender types you know and that we need to acknowledge that so there needs to be a cultural shift within psychology and i don't know how that would happen but maybe i guess it's having more representation of people from different background within the um within the training course you know because if we have more people from different background getting admitted to this training course then tools will be adapted tools will be developed you know people it becomes more diverse rather than one size fits all yeah no, so that's by, by cultural shifts i guess where does that start then where does that cultural shift start from how do we even start going about creating that shift would it start just from representation and hoping that from there we start creating a new a new form of psychology yeah maybe uh honestly i i don't know mm. but probably yes from the from the get-go of people who are applying for the doctorate from even doing your degree your undergraduate degree from then on we need more um people from different ethnic minorities being given the position of assistant psychologist yeah. post mm. or or that psychological post you know not just support workers because like um i can't remember who said it now but as a support worker you see a lot of black minority within the role of a support worker but then when you shift to more of the um maybe dominant not dominant role what's the word i'm looking for more of the educational role like assistant psychologist post or psychologist post or therapist post you see a lot less people represented and i'm like why mm. are we good enough if we are good enough for support worker to be a support worker are we good enough to be within those roles mm. oh, yeah i agree with you sorry sadia no, no i was just saying i agree that's really really true i think that we need to I think there's there's like a really wide representation at frontline level and mm -hmm. I think that that's not good enough like uh, it's sometimes it, it feels as if like you're putting all the ethnic minorities at the front 
and then you've got kind of like the psychologists and all the clinicians at the back doing you know those office work that not getting their hands dirty so mm. I think there definitely needs to be a structural change and maybe that also comes within the NHS itself mm. I think if you think about like how the NHS was established and how many people from like the Caribbean and, and like different countries were kind of like brought over to work for the NHS and you know they were just told to to get out there and take it on the chin you know no matter what mm. happened to them no matter how much racism they received um I feel like that still is going on like based off of what you guys were saying like you're not even sure where to kind of complain um you know if a patient is racist you don't know how far you know you you can go with saying you don't want to work with this service user like it, it's there's so many unclear things and it just makes me think that the 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 culture of the nhs kind of needs to change um in order to to help us to to kind of break some of these barriers yeah that's so important but i know still yet we're still waiting for the statistics to be dropped because they didn't want to release them because they said that it's too sensitive because of the black lives matter movement so they didn't want to up cause an uproar but once the once it does come once it's been released I'm going to be protesting on the street. <laughs> <laughs> I was so ready. I'm very ready. <laughs> I had the energy. <laughs> oh my God. And they need to let... Sorry. Sorry. I just want to say, I just, I just want to understand like risk assessments because the part of the report that they've not released includes the part of what they're going to do in workplaces to ensure that baby people are protected. So mm. I'm still... I'm not on the front line anymore, but I still have colleagues that are, and they don't feel adequately protected. Like there's nothing in place that's significantly different to everybody else in terms of how we're going to protect you exactly as this group of people that are more vulnerable to the virus. So, yeah, it's, it's, there's, there's a lot that needs to change, really. Um, parts of it are to do with the NHS and with private um, groups, but also to do with this country as a whole. Um, because of the fact, the fact that the government themselves are scared to release this document, I mean, what does that say <laughs> about <laughs> the country, about us, about what we've been through? The fact that they're scared of what is going to come out as a result of it, I mean, it needs to happen. They, they should just re- release it and let us deal with it. And let let the let the NHS, let the private <laughs> companies ensure that risk assessments are in place, not just for the staff, but for the patients as well. Yeah. I mean, we forget that the patients are also vulnerable too. Yeah. No, I think there was a thing where it was like, um, I'd read an article and they were saying basically they are aware that once they do release the documents that people will pro- um, go on protest and strike and the NHS will go on strike and they said that we, they can't afford for the NHS to go on strike during a pandemic. If they were not racist, if they didn't have such biases, you know, they wouldn't have this problem. Exactly. But they do, you know, and it's honestly, I mean, I was so angry at the fact they wouldn't release and they didn't release the whole report because they knew. Yeah. Um, they knew. <laughs> that's kind of also saying that they know that black and brown people are the ones who are at the front of the NHS doing all of yeah. these hard jobs, stopping people from, you know, ended up in the respiratory unit or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. They, that's implicitly kind of saying that, and is in an unhelpful way. But I feel like they just need to acknowledge it more. And I was going to say, I feel like given everything that's happened and like what Mary was saying, like you need to look at a person holistically and in psychology, we, we look at just one aspect of the person too much. I feel like they do it in the whole NHS. You're just looking at one aspect of a person. The fact that we're BAME 
and we're working in this like pandemic and we've got all of this stuff going on I feel like they should allow us to have support groups where we can support each other where we can disclose some of our concerns um, with one another in in like a, a kind of safe space is confidential just so we can help strengthen each other because these are tough times for being people right now and not everyone is you know being like super resilient about it people are struggling yeah at my workplace um sorry guys um at my workplace after i had that discussion with the hospital director um we went about discussing okay what where do we go from here because one thing to send out an email but that can't be the, the end of the road. Yeah. We have to go on further. So we agreed that the best thing to do was to have a discussion, an open forum where people can come and um, air out whatever they had to say. So um, the hospital director agreed to chair the meeting because he believed that it had to, you know, everything starts from the top. So if you don't see the person at the top leading this stuff, then other people aren't going to follow. So he chaired the meeting. Um, and people were allowed, I um, messaged people that I knew weren't going to be able to be there, um, asking them to tell me, like, what, what do you want to mention about fame issues in the workplace? What, what would you like to, to be addressed? And then I brought my issues forward and I brought other people's issues forward. Um, and it was all, you know, acknowledged that people were listening and they didn't really understand what fame people go through in the workplace. And, you know, their eyes were open for the first time. Um, and we agreed that it was something that was going to continue from then on. Um, I became the equality and diversity champion um, for my workplace. And I'm hoping that I won't be alone and that other people will join. It's not just a one person because it's mm. the whole point of equality is that you've got to represent so many things because we're not just black, we're also women. That's also something that has to be represented in the workplace. Then you've got LGBTQ issues. You've got neurodiversity issues you've got there's mm. so many things that need to be represented yeah. in equality and diversity i'm not just black and i can't separate my blackness from my womanhood they are interject they are interlinked um and so all these things have to be addressed like mary said you have to look at things you have to look at a person holistically you can't focus on one aspect because that's that's just not realistic and i think the problem with psychology is that we're always so focused on diagnosis per se, um, or like other things. We never really look at every, anything else that's happening in the background. Um, mm. And that's a problem. That's a problem. That's, I guess that's where a really good formulation comes into place, you know, and the therapist expertise around formulating, because if you are to, if you're formulating, you really should formulate holistically, shouldn't you? Um, but talking about, thinking of the, um, I guess cultural change I was just thinking adding to what you said one thing we've so after discussing it with my supervisor so we've had a meeting with our equality and diversity champion I mean within NSFT trust they already have a monthly meeting about equality and diversity where they invite people from all being backgrounds to come and have this meeting so they already do that but that's the entire trust so but within our team we've kind of we are now trying to change that culture that um culture of uncomfortability of not talking about it about the situation mm -hmm. so we a bit like you we are now trying to get people to reflect so we are, we've created a reflective space where we, we are inviting every member of our team to reflect on what has happened and just talk about it because it needs to be talked about and 
following that we we've kind of identified that actually there is there is lack of training within this area and maybe we need support around having some training done on on this particular area and i feel like those little steps are the steps that people we need to take i guess to make that cultural shift but my question is why does it have to be someone from the BAME community that has to raise this point up before that cultural shift has to happen that's so true it's like there's one BAME person who has to put their neck on the line and it is it's really hard to do that because it's almost if you're your everything is on you on your head to kind of bring these issues to the forefront and really i feel like there should be there should be more white stuff that actually come out um and and in support of these issues as well and because i think silence is kind of like you're complicit in some of the things that are going on um, yeah. i think it's really tough to, to bring up this stuff and for one person to do it is, is a lot it's quite burdensome there's a lot of ignorance as well, I guess. A lot that they, they say, they tend to say, I don't know whether you've heard the same, but ignorance is a bliss. Mm -hmm. But I always say, actually, in situations like this, ignorance, ignorance is deadly. You know, not saying yeah. silence and pretending that it's not there is only going to create more problems. Mm. I agree with that and I feel like you know when it comes to like solutions and stuff I don't know about how you guys feel about the e-learning relating to like you know equality and literally is a tick and you never have to do it for like a whole year I think it's so useless and I absolutely hate it so much uh, I think one uncomfortable uh, conversations have to happen uh, especially APs because I feel like I don't know about I feel like as a, a system psychologist you, ha you have to reflect and I think psychologists are so great at reflecting but the things that we try to promote in you know patients like you know stop you know avoiding avoiding things we do it ourselves so i think things like that need to be brought up you know at ap level and hopefully at trainee level as well um i think experimental behaviors that trigger certain emotions from you or even just that feeling of feeling uncomfortable and having to talk about it would be useful because i think you know a tick box one day which is 10 minutes you don't even have to read this like you know the e-learning quality really you can just keep and that's done but i feel like emotion it's long lasting and i mean i hope anyway that would um uh, change behavior really um and we have this thing i don't know if you guys have that but it's called reverse reverse uh, mentorship where somebody from um in a position of leadership uh kind of has like weekly meetings or whatever with somebody from ethnic mic uh, background where we kind of share what our experience is like uh, so that they hopefully you know will make changes but I think it just allows them to see the world in a different way I guess was that recently implemented in your I don't know if it was recent it is it is implemented yeah uh, and well so much so that one of the I don't know his exact role but he's in a leadership position so he actually attends the BME uh, support group because he said that you know work with somebody from an ethnic background has opened his eyes to what is actually going on. So we actually took the step, he is white, he took the step to attend, you know, the BME group. So I think that would be something. 
that could open people's eyes. And I think I like it because it's like a long-term thing. It's not just like one-time meeting and then you forget mm -hmm. about it. It's an ongoing thing. Um, so yeah, something that I think would help. No, I think that's really good, especially, especially now with like, there's been a lot of people who are white and in managerial roles that have joined the BAME network in uh, my organization for the, for the same purpose as what you, what's going on in your company mm -hmm. where they can just get to know people's experiences and just learn. Yeah. Um, anything else, guys? I have to say, this is probably the first time I've seen this many black APs um, <laughs> in one place. Um, I'm just really happy about that, actually, because I think <laughs> the other thing that's really important is representation in psychology overall. I think psychology is so dominated yeah. by white people that it's just it's yep. so hard to even penetrate into it. Like, it, it just... A year ago, I couldn't even imagine myself being here because I just oh. thought, oh, this is not going to happen for me. So I want it so bad, but this is not going to happen. So I'm just, I'm glad to see this, but I want to see more. I want to see more yeah. Black APs. Like, this, this, yeah, this, yeah. one step at a time, guys. Yeah, I I'm going to overpopulate the place. <laughs> but um, just want to say a huge thank you once again, guys, for coming onto this platform to come and speak. I've learned so much uh, and hopefully, We'll see you again at another later date. And thank, thank you. you. Thank you. I think I, I was just going to say, I totally agree with Vanessa. Like, this is amazing and it's nice to have a space where we can just talk about being black and the struggles. But I, we know that it's shared. It's not just us struggling in our self, 